I've been to Reno, Chicago, Fargo, Minnesota, Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota, Wichita, Tulsa, Ottawa, Oklahoma, Tampa, Panama, Mattawa, La Paloma, Bangor, Baltimore, Salvador. On this episode of Musonomics, music, cities, and the economic impact of music on the modern urban environment. I'm Larry Miller from the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt. And I'm Carmen Cuesta Rocca. We tend to take our music infrastructure for granted. Oh, that venue is just there. Oh, that studio is just there. We don't think about how we can strategize and how we can plan and how music factors into how cities are literally built, how town centers are revitalized and city centers are revitalized, how music fits into what makes places worth living in. That's Shane Shapiro, who is the manager of the London Nighttime Commission and the London Music Board which are Mayor of London advisory committees working on music and the nighttime economy. On this episode, we'll also be hearing from Merrick Milan, a man whose job title is the Nightmare of Amsterdam, Justin Kliffowitz, the head of downtown music publishing and co-founder of the New Yorker's Music Initiative, which aims to raise awareness around the cultural and commercial impact of music on cities in the state of New York, and New York City Commissioner Julie Menon of the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment. Music cities. The term seems like a no-brainer, but when our production assistant John Thornhill took to the streets of New York to ask real New Yorkers what they think defines a music city, he really struggled to get a straightforward answer. Could you tell me a little bit about what you think a music city is? Um, a city that's usually like Nashville, New York, down south, like most of the Carolinas. It depends on the type of music. A music city to me is like like different types of music. A music city means that this the city really is. Hmm. Wait, give me a minute now. Now you made me think. How would I define? Oh my God, that's so hard. The term music city is becoming widely used in cultural communities and has penetrated the political vernacular in many cities around the world. Once identified solely with Nashville, the storied capital of songwriting and the country music business, Music City now also describes communities of various sizes that have a vibrant music economy, which they actively promote. Um, well, there's quite a few in the U.S., uh, but globally... On the horizon, um, well, I, you know, throw my hat in about London, obviously, but a number of cities in Sweden and Denmark are very active in this. For example, Gothenburg in Sweden, Aarhus in Denmark, Angers, a small city in France, is developing a music strategy. Um, uh, Germany, Munich is developing one right now. That's Dr. Shane Shapiro again, the founder of Sound Diplomacy and manager of the London Nighttime Commission. In addition, Seoul and Korea, um, a number of cities in Australia, a number of cities in Indonesia, including Bandung and Ambon. Um, it's, in my opinion, it's becoming a global phenomenon. And, and it shouldn't be a global phenomenon. It should just be the way it is. It shouldn't be special. In the cities he mentioned and many more, alliances are being formed among cities that see value in partnering to enhance their success in using music to drive economic growth. Music City panels are popping up at conferences around the globe, and outside the cultural community, 
there is growing recognition among governments and other stakeholders that music cities can deliver significant economic and employment benefits beyond the long-acknowledged cultural and social benefits. Quite suddenly, there's a lot of interest in becoming a music city and in how to make one succeed. Shane Shapiro, what is a music city? It depends on the city, but a music city is, is a city that understands uh, that it needs to um, it needs to have an asset inventory of its of its music ecosystem. So it needs to know what's in what you know what's in its city limits in terms of how it's developing musicians in the music industry, and it also needs to have a forward-thinking, pragmatic policy and regulatory infrastructure to support music, music making, and music business. And m most global cities don't have that, to be completely honest. And why is that? Well, no one's thought about it. So we we tend, it's not city's faults. Um, it's not anybody's faults. It's no value judgment. It's just, we tend to take our music infrastructure for granted. Oh, that venue is just there. Oh, that studio is just there. We don't think about how we can strategize and how we can plan and how music factors into how cities are literally built, how town centers are revitalized and city centers are revitalized, how music fits into what makes places worth living in, you know, the cultural and economic offer. And music's just a given. Um, and we believe that it needs to have a formal seat at the table. What factors are most important in driving a music city's initiative forward? You need support from what we call the top down and the bottom up. So you do need a mayor or, or some politician um, with clout and with influence to communicate that music is valuable to that city's economic and cultural development. That's one. And you also need a thriving scene that believes that they can develop uh, within that particular city. And it doesn't matter on the size of the city or the town. You know, you you can have scenes genuinely anywhere. And then we do believe that there needs to be a communication mechanism done most places through an advisory board or a council or something like that that kind of brings the top down and bottom up together and does some research to understand what's in a place, what's not in a place, what needs to be in a place, and so on and so forth, instead of just assuming that things are the way they are. It sounds like most municipalities and states and regions probably don't have those skills for organizing on this topic inside of their organizations. So how do they engage on this topic? I mean, there must be a number of different points of entry. Yeah, it usually starts with some individual who works within the administration to understand or to be willing to listen to the economic arguments surrounding music. So, you know, we need people to first off understand that there is a there there is a value in trying to work with this industry like there is working with any other industry. So it usually takes one interested person. Um, that's how our work with cities usually begins. You find that one person who loves music but is a bureaucrat <laughs> that uh, that that sees the value in it. And then you and then there's a huge amount of legwork that needs to be done to figuring out how you know how how big or small or 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 supportive or deficient a music scene is in a in a place. So you I, would need a city to understand how to that they have to measure stuff. They have to count. And most cities are pretty good at counting. The industry has to realize that we we don't live in a silo. 
And I think that we tend to get too bogged down and focus on internal issues in our industry. And we don't think about the value that our ecosystem brings not only to ourselves, but to other industries. And this is a positive discussion that can be had with cities about the value of music, whether instead of arguing about fractions of pennies related to this or that. How do you figure that out? How do you calculate the value of music to a local or regional economy? Well, we've sort of we've developed an index and created a number of variables that you can assess. So, you know, we're continually working it out. It's far from perfect, but it's it's counting built infrastructure, understanding where the deficiencies are in built infrastructure, looking at the taxation incentivization system for creatives and, and creative economy counting how many musicians and artists are in a place, how many gigs are happening, how many studios and rehearsal spaces and places like that. You know, it's it's figuring out how much is in a place in then relation to its GDP and in relation to its size of population. And you can sort of assess if a place is doing well or not. Um, and then there's other things like amount of tickets sold or amount of music being streamed or any pathway can be measured. Shane, you're also the manager of the London Nighttime Commission and the London Music Board. Why do cities need nighttime economy strategies? We we believe that music venues are the heart and soul of, of all of this, um, not only because they're not just music venues. They, they are ecosystems within themselves. You know, we think of music venues as innovation hubs and, and incubators. And also to have a successful music venue, you need to be working with a number of secondary and tertiary sectors from hospitality to logistics, to cleaners, to refrigeration, to lighting and so on and so forth. You need a number of businesses to work for the venue to work. And let alone, as we say, if you have, let's say 20 artists performing at a venue every week, then that's 80 potential businesses that you're incubating every month. And you have one hit then that's a very expensive and valid um, piece of intellectual property that's been incubated in this space. So we think that from a policy and regulatory framework, music venues have to be treated very differently than they are now. How are they treated now? We believe that cities have absolutely no idea how valuable their economies are at night. And then if you have a thriving nighttime economy, and that's not just bars and music venues and pubs, but it's restaurants, it's minicabs, it's hotels, it's even cleaners, it's film editors that work at night. If you start to understand the value of that, not only are you creating jobs, you're opening up various opportunities in terms of really thinking about how your city communicates with its citizens on the full 24-hour period. And and we, we look at things like, you know, if you have a nighttime economy strategy, then you have a better Um, safety and and violence against women strategy. You have a better public realm strategy where you light things properly. You have proper pavements or sidewalks uh, and and so on and so forth. So it's evolved to something much, much bigger than music. And we believe that the best way to do that is to create a policy infrastructure around that. And then you need a leader to do that. And in the Netherlands, they call that leader a nightmare. And they were the first people to do it. So many people are copying them. And we'll be hearing from Amsterdam's nightmare, Mr. Merrick Milan, in just a minute. Shane, finally, what constituencies would you say are essential to be brought together for a successful music city? Everybody. <laughs> this is the hard one. And, and working in London, for example, you know, there's, there's a lot of different voices. Um, 
to be honest, the least important player in all of this is the music industry, because if everyone else is supportive, then we benefit. So, you know, we need to be bringing policymakers, bureaucrats, the police, fire service, health service, um, uh, responsible alcohol brands, um, other businesses, um, you know, environmental health officers and noise officers, uh, all of those people, especially, and also businesses that, that trade with music and music venues. We try to build as big a consensus as possible. That's why I love this work because it kind of takes you out of music, but it's focused on music and it opens your eyes up to the value that we really do have in the world and how important we really are. And I kind of believe that our importance should be based on our value to other people and other industries in addition to our value to ourselves. So we've just heard from Shane Shapiro about how music needs a more formal voice and how the potential of nighttime economies should not be underestimated. To put in place a policy infrastructure around music, especially music that happens at night, you need a leader. You need one individual whose role it is to focus on how to properly tap into the potential of a city's nighttime economy. In the Netherlands, they call this, in English, the nightmare. Ten Dutch cities have nightmares, including Amsterdam, a city known for nightlife. His name is Mirik Milan, and his email signature describes him as a rebel in a suit. Although he has no official power, his job is to build bridges between the mayor and the city council, small business owners like nightclubs, venues and promoters, and city residents. Mirik is elected by a combination of internet votes and a panel of nightlife business owners. Together, these business owners in the city combine to pay the nightmare's salary. And one of the roles of a nightmare is to dispel misconceptions about nightlife. Merrick recently spoke to PBS NewsHour. Nightlife is uh, uh, heavy drinking, puking on the street, trouble. That's what people say. Instead of thinking, oh, nightlife makes a city a nice place to live in, creates an area in which people can express themselves and to connect with other people. Merrick's job is to think outside of the box when it comes to nightlife. Where other people see problems, he finds solutions. One of his greatest accomplishments is introducing 24-hour licenses. Merrick's idea is counterintuitive, but it works. Clubs benefit from it because they can go on longer, and the surrounding neighbourhood benefits because you don't have several clubs all closing at four in the morning and a thousand people suddenly hitting the streets all at the same time. If the people can just leave whenever they want, you have a really a, a lot less pressure on the neighborhood. Although nightmares are common in the Netherlands, the concept hasn't spread everywhere. That's probably because critics may see the nightmare as a person who makes vice easier to access for residents and tourists. But as we've heard, Mirik views nightlife differently than most people. For him, it's full of untapped opportunity and must be nurtured rather than quashed. When we see the night, nighttime economy, we see it as a place where a lot of talent developing is happening for the creative industry. Think of all the photographers, filmmakers, of course DJs and live musicians. They have a platform in which they can develop their talent. So, so that's the value which I see in nightlife. Remember those New Yorkers we heard from at the beginning of the episode? The ones struggling to define a music city? 
Well, it probably shouldn't be a surprise that most of them considered their beloved hometown a music city. Would you consider New York City to be a music city? Yeah, for sure, definitely. I mean, when you walk around the streets in New York, you're always, you know, listening to something or the other, whether it's a commercial, whether it's Latino, a whole variety of stuff. And that's really what makes it so exciting. New York City is full of music. Music is everywhere. That's undeniable. But the availability of music on the street does not make New York City a music city. For decades, New York was the undisputed center of global music production. But the state's share of the industry has drastically declined in recent decades. In downstate areas around New York City, pressure from a rising real estate market and other financial pressures have pushed many of the most storied and successful recording studios out of the metropolitan area, as we discussed in an episode last fall. Upstate, the industry has been largely disaggregated and lacked collective exposure. Most importantly, significant efforts by states and cities, including Toronto, Los Angeles, New Orleans, and Nashville, as well as foreign countries, have lured away the industry. Here's Justin Kalifowitz, CEO of Downtown Music Publishing. So New York City's music industry um, has been a global leader for well over 100 years. Lots of different genres of music have emerged here. Some of the biggest uh, music industry, traditional music industry players in the world, whether it be Sony or Universal, uh, who between them employ almost 2,000 New Yorkers. Um, Warner, whose global headquarters is here. Um, businesses like Spotify, YouTube, Pandora, SoundCloud have significant numbers. Uh, I think between the digital music businesses in New York, you have almost 4,000 people working uh, in this city. There's no other place like it that merges the traditional players in the music industry with the new players in the music industry, as well as the artists, the recording studios, etc. cetera. Uh, when you look at the live side of the industry, uh, it's a tremendous boon for tourism here. And the city has never really organized itself around the music business before, but equally, the music business has never organized itself around the city. In 2014, Justin co-founded New York Is Music, an organization promoting statewide recognition and support of the music business's cultural and commercial impact. Their mission is to advance the importance of music in economic development, culture and education in New York, and put New York on a level playing field for music production. You don't have any sort of one organization saying we'd like to speak with the city and the state in one unified voice, which is what we set out to do with New York is Music several years ago. Back in 2014, Justin wrote a letter to Billboard about the idea that New York City in particular should work more closely with the music industry. So what you have here is a, is a scenario where New York State is, you know, by far a global leader in, in the broader music industry. Every facet of the industry is represented here. But the one piece that's fallen off in a significant way is music production, where we've seen about a 50% drop in New York State's share of music production from 1999 to 2014. It's shifted to places like California, uh, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, Toronto, even the UK has picked up significant market share all at New York's expense in the past 15 years. Um, a big driver around that is cost um, and seeing a lot of different studios close across the state. And the knock-on effect is that you know music production is at the heart of the music ecosystem, right? Without it, you don't have a lot of different folks who are working here. You see people in our industry, mix engineers choosing to move to Nashville. 
Um, you started to see the, the, the ripple effect as it relates to people in the professional services, lawyers, artists, managers, et cetera, looking to move perhaps out to Los Angeles. Songwriters who used to make pit stops in New York along the way to Nashville or Los Angeles or working back in the UK are now skipping New York. Justin traveled across the city and the state, gathering opinions of music stakeholders and policymakers. Now, the New York is Music Coalition consists of over 250 organizations across the state. That's around 100,000 people. And from speaking to those many, many people, Justin learned the extent of the challenges faced by people looking for work in music in New York State. We oftentimes say that people who work in music production in New York are not unemployed, but they're underemployed. So, for example, they may be public school teachers who would moonlight as mix engineers, but that mix engineering work, instead of being weekly, was now once a month, once every six weeks. And between the public school salaries, which we know can always go up, uh, and, the, and the mix engineering um, work that was going down, it, it wasn't a pretty picture. And you were seeing these people who were vital to these communities, like very seriously thinking about moving. He even discovered it's not just everyday people with a side hustle that are contemplating a move. For us, one of the most uh, inspiring moments of this, or, or you know, reckon, day of reckoning moments, was meeting with Angela Hunt. She's a co-writer of Empire State of Mind, Jay-Z and Alicia Keys. And uh, she was telling us that she and her husband were very seriously thinking about moving to Los Angeles due to the decline in work in the New York area. And he sort of say, the woman who wrote what has become like the de facto new theme song of the state, uh, is very seriously thinking of moving to Los Angeles. Okay, we have to do something about this. In looking to the alliances and organization within other industries present in the city, Justin discovered a potential solution. He met an assemblyman, Joe Lentil, a like-minded individual in terms of wanting to bring the city and the music industry closer together. And it was Joe who walked him through the benefits of the film tax credit and how it came about. A film tax credit was passed in 2004 called the Empire State Film Production Credit Program. And it generated a significant economic incentive to bring film and television production to New York State. This bill allows film producers to claim a tax credit against their so-called below-the-line costs, which includes the work of costume makers, location scouts, production assistants, camera and sound technicians, caterers, background actors or extras, and film editors throughout the city. You've all seen that Made in New York stamp at the end of film and TV productions that benefited from the tax credits. And so Justin wondered if this could be applied to music production. Whichever entity was responsible for writing the check, for financing the project, that entity would be able to apply for a tax credit of up to 25% downstate and 35% upstate. We worked with Joe and uh, he started to draft what would become the Empire State Music Production Tax Credit, taking into account all of this feedback from all of the different members of the coalition, um, which is just an incredibly diverse group. It was, you know, the musicians union, it was uh, recording artists, it was labels, it was lawyers, it was managers, studio owners, gear rental companies. I mean, you name it, if you're involved in the New York's music ecology, uh, you probably, either you or someone you're related to, had, had a say in how this thing looked. And in June, the Empire State Music Production Tax Credit was passed by the State Senate and the Assembly 
and the New Yorkers Music Coalition is urging Governor Cuomo to sign the bill into law. It would provide $25 million a year in tax credits for producing music across the state. Um, it's key towards areas of music production where you have to hire New Yorkers, you know, renting local studios, hiring local musicians, um, you know, renting certain gear, uh, all of the costs associated with working on the project in New York. As with New York's hugely successful film tax credits, the state can play an extremely supportive role in encouraging the growth of the industry and help ensure that New York State is a place that performers and artists can create music, live, and make a living. Over 100,000 New Yorkers work in music-related industries, and the state is home to historic recording hubs and infrastructure in Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, the Hudson Valley, and the Catskills. The state boasts world-class universities, such as Bard, Syracuse, Juilliard, Eastman, and NYU, and powerful cultural institutions, such as Carnegie Hall, BAM, and Lincoln Center. We've been looking at sort of how the music industry self-identifies, uh, and one of the things that we recognized was that, you know, there, people take this industry for granted. People see Carnegie Hall has just been standing there for a very long time. People assume things are great. People see, you know, sub Billy Joel doing his sold-out shows at Madison Square Garden. They see uh, the Video Music Awards returning to the Garden or being at the Barclays Center. They hear about, you know, artists like Lady Gaga recording here. And everyone just sort of assumes that, you know, everything's sort of hunky-dory in the music business and it's growing and Spotify is going to be the savior because that's what the press will have you believe. But what I don't think people recognize is just how much of an impact the music industry has, um, particularly in New York City, across so many industries that are already here. Um, we talked about advertising, film and television, theater, broadcasting, um, the live industry. I, I, I don't know that, we don't know as an organization that there's a connection that the general public or even business leaders from other industries are making as to the importance of music. And so, in order to bring attention to the importance of music to New York, the New Yorkers Music Coalition is launching a New Yorkers Music Month. The idea behind the New Yorkers Music Month is to take a month that has some incredible activity, both public and industry facing, that already occurs in, the, in New York City, and uh, tie a nice bow around it and explain to the general public that this is an incredible month for music and use it as a, a almost as a um, springboard to introduce the concept that the music industry is of vital importance to uh, our city's uh, economy, to its culture, and to education. We spoke with New York City Commissioner Julie Menon of the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment. The office's purview recently expanded to include music when Commissioner Menon was appointed to the role earlier this year. In June, the commissioner convened a gathering of music industry stakeholders in New York City. The mayor included music in the portfolio of the Office of Media and Entertainment for the first time when he asked me to be the new commissioner in February. We are thrilled to have music in our portfolio for the first time, and that is why a couple weeks ago we held our first ever music convening at City Hall where we brought together many music industry leaders to really hear from them about what they wanted the city to focus on and what some of the issues of concern were. One issue that came up at the meeting is many complained that they felt they really needed help in terms of 
dealing with other agencies and regulatory requirements. And so we talked about potentially the need for an expediter in our office who could assist and help uh, various music uh, professionals navigate uh, regulatory requirements and really cut through any kind of bureaucracy or red tape. We are right now doing an economic impact analysis on the music industry to really see where we can step in as a city and be most helpful. We know that there are some music companies that have relocated to Los Angeles. We want to reverse that trend. So we're really drilling down into ways that the city can be supportive in that regard. Thank you, Commissioner Menon. If you Google music cities, you'll be presented with a list of cities that host great live music scenes. But being a music city is about much more than just having a big music industry presence. It's about organizing around that presence and optimizing the music industry to drive economic growth. There's more than one way to do that. Whether it's assigning one person the responsibility of thinking about these things on a policy level, organizing a community group advocating for policy and regulatory change, actually appointing a nightmare, or providing tax credits to attract production, it is essential for a music city to have a strategy. That's all the time we have for this episode of Musonomics. Thank you to our guests Shane Shapiro, Mirik Milan, Justin Kalifowitz, and Commissioner Julie Menon. The Musonomics podcast is produced by Musonomics LLC, strategy consulting and analytics for and about the music industry. This episode was produced by editorial director Carmen Cuesta Roca and engineered by Ibar Aiden with help from John Thornhill and Kiana Agina. From the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt, I'm Larry Miller. And I'm Carmen Cuesta Roca. Thanks for listening to Musonomics. Musonomics.